So before I start today, I just need to say that I laid down on my bed for a moment and then my cat woke up from her nap and crawled over underneath my arms. So I was laying on my belly in like a cobra pose kind of shape. She crawled under my arms and snuggled up into a little ball and started to take another nap. It was the sweetest little thing. So I'm feeling really happy and grateful right now. And I love little moments like that. And I like to take little moments throughout my day to pause and slow down and rest and recharge. And then moments like right now where I'm on and I'm working and I'm sharing things and I'm teaching and more in the active state, right? And that's the the two yin and yang, the stira and sukha, these duality, these two qualities that I talk about so much in the previous episodes. Like this is the foundation of everything that I teach where Throughout a yoga class, I'm making sure we have moments of contracting muscles and lengthening muscles. Every muscle can do two things, contract or lengthen. So in a lot of ways, everything breaks down to two qualities of effort and ease, movement and stillness, action and inaction. Vinyasa yoga, where we're constantly moving with a breath, and things like yin or restorative yoga, where we're more still. But... If we look at Samkhya philosophy, and this is what I'm teaching right now this week in the yoga teacher training for those who are in the training. And if you're not in the training, it opens again in January 2021 and September 2021. So it opens twice a year. But uh, if you're not in it, you can still listen to this and get some of the insights and some of the uh, sort of behind the scenes stuff of what's happening. So right now we're talking about yoga philosophy this week. And what is yoga philosophy? Where does it come from? What are the roots of it? I like to go back to the origins and try to understand the foundation, where the stuff comes from. Right. It, so as you know, yoga was invented in the 70s and 80s by Jane Fonda. No, that's that's my uh, <laughs> that's maybe what a lot of people think when they kind of get into yoga. It's this newer thing. It's this new trend. Right. It's a great way to stretch and feel good. But of course, it goes back to the Vedas in 1700s BCE the Upanishads up to around 200 CE, and uh, the Yoga Sutra, the Bhagavad Gita, all these source texts of yoga. But around that time, there was a philosophy called Samkhya philosophy that isn't widely practiced much at all today, but there were some major uh, philosophies, Indian schools of thoughts. There's Buddhism springing up in this time. Jainism was around. Hinduism was a label given to these sort of beliefs many years later, but this these Hinduist kind of practices existed. And there was uh, the Vedanta philosophy, which is in many ways uh, overlaps with Hinduism, what we call Hinduism now. And there was Samkhya philosophy. What is Samkhya? Samkhya means to enumerate, to count. And this was a big common thing at the time of how do you memorize spiritual teachings? There wasn't you know, what we have now, the internet, there wasn't even books. There was uh, some leaves that had writings on them, but not everybody could read those or even get access to those. So a lot of it was passed down orally and you would memorize chanting and very, very meticulously created and crafted mantras that had these incredibly complex cadences and patterns to them. Uh, I show videos of that for those of you in the teacher training of how the mantras sort of uh, resonate out in these cycles and patterns. There's incredible intricate patterns to them. 
And that's how you memorize things with these patterns, these mantras, and numbers, counting things. So in Buddhism, they have the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path, right? And, and all these different paths, there's these different truths. There's the three refuges in Buddha. There's the eight limbs of yoga, the five yamas, the five niyamas, right? There's all these enumerations through all these teachings around the time. And that's what Samkhya philosophy was essentially about. What can we measure? What can we count? How can we understand things? And how can we systematize it so we can pass it down and share those teachings and understandings? And they say as well in the Samkhya philosophy that everything comes from two things, right? So there is this two, two things at the core of it. But what I'm sharing today is how everything can be understood through three things. So going another level of complexity, another way of looking at things. So these two things are Purusha and Prakriti. Purusha is sort of potentiality. It's nothing is manifest. It's non-manifested potential energy. Then there's Prakriti, which is form. It's energy that is potentiated into form. And in, if you know Ayurveda, we all have a Prakriti, a nature, a form, a sort of tendency. That's our Prakriti. And from Purusha and Prakriti, from something and nothing, comes Ahamkara, the ego, the sense of me, mine, myself, I, identity of this is a cow, that's a person, that's a cat, right? These different identities and forms, that's a tree. And we, you know, we, this is English identification and labels of things, but there is a form. There's a form to a tree, whatever you call it in whatever language or name you give it. So that's the Purusha and Prakriti interact and create these expressions of form that have identities. This is the ahamkara. And that distills down into the buddhi, the intellect. There's an intelligence into all sentient creatures, all expressions of life. There's an intelligence within them. And even a rock has a sort of intelligence to it, right? Even water has a sort of intelligence to it. The buddhi, the intellect. And then from there, we get the three gunas. Now, this is what the real crux of today is about, is the three gunas, because this is a huge part of how I teach, how I live, my whole life philosophy. It's really powerful stuff once you start to get into it. So maybe you've heard of these before, rajas, sattva, and tamas. Rajas, sattva, and tamas. Rajas is the energy of activity, of desire, of wanting things of craving and desire, fear, desire, craving, aversion. These are all similar energies of really want that new car, or I really don't want to go to work today, or I really want this new job. But these are all forms of rajas, desire. And desire is, there's a whole bunch of teachings on this, especially from around this time of desire essentially being the source of a lot of suffering. And I think, you know, in modern teachings and from later tantric teachings around 500 CE and later on, that desire isn't inherently bad. And really, like, we would not exist without desire. You desire to eat, to sleep, to drink water, to procreate, to survive. If we didn't have the desire to stay alive, this would just end, right? There'd be no continuation here. So we have to have some desire to even exist, I think. And you can say, well, I don't want to have desire. Well, what is that? It's a desire, of course. Of course you don't want to have desire. That's a desire, right? That's uh, So you can't really get away from that, right? Even if you want to end it all, right? Okay, well, I don't want to continue living. Well, then that's a desire to, 
So you can't really get away from it. So that's rajas. That's always happening. There's always some activity that's keeping us alive, some desire moving us forward. And even in the afterlife, right? If you believe in reincarnation, of there's some unmanifest, unexpressed, unpotentiated desires within you at the moment of death. And that's why you reincarnate in another form to fulfill that karma. That is one interpretation of reincarnation and why we're even here now is because there was something in a past life that was unfulfilled that we came here to fulfill and express some unfulfilled desire and karma to play out whether you believe in it or not that's you know the belief of it from at least one perspective that's rajas activity desire then there's tamas tamas is heavy dull slow lifeless apathetic it's inert it's highly processed foods that drain your energy rather than give you energy. It's feeling sluggish. It's that feeling if you just stay in bed and watch TV for a week straight and do nothing else, or you just feel like really drained, really apathetic, really just off, not yourself. That's Thomas eating just processed foods, no sunlight, no socializing. That's Thomas. Then there's sattva. Sattva is purity so we can have pure foods and impure foods we can have like fresh celery grown out of the farm or we can have you know highly processed fruit roll-ups out of a package that's been on a shelf for five years you know that's that's sattva and the fresh celery out of the garden versus uh the tamas with the highly processed food that's been living on a shelf somehow still fresh after five years Right, these sort of things, you can see the contrast. So that's like just a food example, but sattva can show up in your you know, drinking clean water, can show up in your getting lots of rest and you feel recharged and your body has time to, time to heal and recover and repair itself for the next day. Uh, your general choices throughout your day, like doing things like meditation and yoga, cleaning your house so your house feels sattvic. You know that feeling when it's like the house has been cleaned, there's this sort of resonance to it. The, the feng shui is there. The wind, water, the flow of prana, of chi, of life force is fresh and inspiring and it feels good to be there. That's sattva. You know, and you feel like it's just messy and it feels bad to be there. And it's like you just got to get out of the house. And there's all these tasks piling up and these piles of paper and dishes and the, the floor is dirty. Right, that's that's Thomas. It's like, ugh, gross. Get, I need to change it, clean it, get out of here. Right, uh, but we all go through these different experiences all the time. Right, we have Thomas in us, Rajas in us, we have Sattva in us, and we can make choices that are more Sattvic, Rajasic, or Tamasic. Generally, most of the time, yoga practice is very Sattvic. Right, and the feeling at the end, you've probably had this at the end of Shavasana. It's that again, that resonance, that sort of feeling of like ah you know it just feels good to be there it feels good to be in your body your mind feels clear you don't feel weighed down you don't feel distracted anxious worried tired you feel good right that's sattva we can sattvic foods sattvic diet sattvic lifestyle habits we can make these choices getting time in the sun not too much time where we get burned up that becomes tamasic right not too little time where uh, you know, we feel like we need vitamin D, right? If we don't have vitamin D, that leads to so many diseases and issues. 
my partner has been uh, looking into that a lot because she found out she had vitamin D deficiency. She has darker skin than I do, uh, so it's harder for her body. The darker your skin, the harder it is to absorb the sun's vitamin D. So then you need more sun exposure, but you don't want too much because then you get you can get sun poisoning even. Too much sun exposure, your body overheats. This actually happened to me because I have lighter skin. And I was trying to, you know, go, let's go out to the beach together. Let's go to the swimming. Let's get in the sun, you know. I was getting more sunlight with her. So like, yeah, more vitamin D, great. Uh, but my skin is much more sensitive. I only need like 10 minutes in around around 10 o'clock to noon or so. Noon is even worse because that's too much sun. Uh, but for me, I don't need as much sun as she does. And I can easily get sun poisoning, too much sun exposure. So something that's sattvic can become tamasic. So too much of a good thing can be a problem. Too much doing yoga every day, twice a day, that's too much, right? Your body doesn't need that. You've got to let your nervous system repair and recover and integrate your movements, your breathing, your practices, your disciplines, and then you get the benefits of it in the right amount, right? And I live in the U.S. and of course the United States, the American way is if something, if a little of something is good, then more of it must be better, right? <laughs> If 10 minutes of sun is good, 20 minutes must be twice as good. If 20 minutes is twice as good, then an hour must be like four times as good, right? So of course this is not true. <laughs> we quickly have an issue of excess and uh, you can have uh, go into the rajas or tamas if you have too much of anything. If you have like a really good food, a really good meal, it's like this is very sattvic. I feel amazing, feels perfect. You keep eating, now you switch over into tamas. You get the heavy, dull, you want to take a nap. Food coma at its extreme. So sattva, rajas, and tamas. In everything we do, we can be mindful of this. This is a, not just a philosophy, a way of seeing things, a way of looking at life, uh, but a way of practicing yoga, a way of teaching yoga. So when I'm teaching yoga, I'm thinking about these three things as well. By nature, by default, which do you think the body is? Is the body by default more sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic? Right? Is the body by default more heavy and dull, tending towards stagnancy? Is it by default tending towards activity and movement? Or is it by default tending towards purity and clarity? Well, if you just kind of lounge around and do nothing, uh, your body's going to tend towards decay. And if you don't take good care of it, you're going to tend towards injuries and disease and decay. That's tamas, right? So the body by default is going to tend towards tamas, unless we are good stewards of our bodies and get, take good care of them and are mindful of our choices. How about the mind? What do you think the mind tends towards? Does it tend to be more dull and apathetic and tamasic? Or uh, constantly changing, full of desires and aversions, like rajas? Or more pure and clear, like sattva? which is the mind, right? So the mind is more rajasic by nature. It's tending towards, should I do this? Should I do that? Oh, I said this thing. Maybe I should have said that thing. Oh, I forgot to do this thing. Okay, I've got to add this to my list, right? It's always thinking about what do I want to do next? Okay, should I do that or should I do this? And if we just live in our heads, and you know, I did for a long time, but I remember distinctly many times in high school of just not being able to sleep because my mind is just ruminating on everything that happened that day or a certain conversation or something I said or wish I would have said. That's rajas. It's just this constant activity that won't stop and I wasn't able to sleep, right? It just won't shut off, right? That's rajas. It's just rajas. 
So we can become more sattvic in the body and the mind. Totally possible. Yoga and meditation are the two most powerful tools that I know of. Getting good sleep is right up there next to it. Uh, getting good diet, exercise, socializing, sunlight, these are all very important things as well. Uh, but in yoga and meditation, that's what we practice and teach here as teachers and students. We live our lives. And that's for me, I was like, I want this to be the foundation of my life. I didn't want this to just be a class I did like once a week anymore. Uh, after my first, you know, couple weeks of practicing yoga, I was like, I know I want this to be the foundation of my life because it's so powerful and it resets me and it gets me back in alignment with what matters most to me. I want to start my day with this. And that's what I did before I ever thought I'd be a teacher or take a teacher training. I started doing yoga every day because it got me to that more sattvic state just for an hour. And then for the hour after yoga, it became easier to hold that state and it became harder to eat foods that were not sattvic. It became harder to say things that were not sattvic to make choices that are not sattvic. It becomes easier the more you practice. It's just your retraining. For me, I was retraining my nervous system, my mind, my body towards sattva. And it doesn't end, actually. Just because I was doing that for so long and I've done it for so long, doesn't mean I'm set now. It's, it doesn't end. It's like still today, this morning, I got up and do my practice. I, you know, I reset and realigned towards sattva. Because it's so easy and tempting to just roll out of bed and look at the phone and start scrolling through the news and the social media and all this stuff that is tamasic and rajasic. Uh, you need to do this. You shouldn't do that. And this person's fighting with it. And what do you believe about this? And you have to pick a side. And, you know, all this stuff happening in the news and social media. And uh, it's very rajasic on, in the mind and very tamasic in the body. You're just like sitting there scrolling and stimulating the mind. Right? This is... Uh, far from sattva and it makes it far it makes it harder to get to that sattvic state so okay you could do that for a while and you put the phone down and you try to go and do your work and you're still in the sattva and are you still in the rajas and the tamas so you can't just you know entrain yourself towards sattva and rajas and then get to i'm sorry towards rajas and tamas and then get to sattva All right so we've got to be mindful of our our activities our choices throughout the day and notice which ones feel more tamasic, heavy, dull, slow, lethargic, draining. And maybe replace those with activities that are more sattvic, purifying, clarifying, giving us insight, clarity, and understanding, perspective. Listening to philosophy, reading audio, listening to audiobooks, reading books from inspiring teachers, talking to mentors and friends and and peers and, and people that inspire us and uplift us, sharing about our successes. Right? These are all sattvic activities, doing yoga and meditation, and doing that in a way that is balanced. So I teach in a uh, bell curve. I'll talk about this in future episodes because it's a big part of my teacher training as well. So we have the sort of starting simple and slow, building up to the more activity and winding down. Right? So starting in tamas, most people start from their yoga, start their yoga practice in a more tamasic state, especially early in the morning. Getting out of bed, more tamasic typically. Then you get into the rajas, the activity, the activation, the engagement. Then we can get to the sattva. Then we can get to the purity. All right. So following that sort of bell curve of more stillness, more activity, and then the stillness has this serenity to it at the end. And I love practicing that way. I love teaching that way, and I get incredible feedback from students when I teach that way. 
So maybe as you go through the rest of your week, notice the activities that are more rajasic, that wind you up, that get you amped up and feel the tricky thing about rajas is you feel righteous about it. Like I should feel this passionate about it. This is important. I need to do this thing. And if you follow that to its end and you really go with it and really let yourself just be taken over by it, which is important to do to really understand it, just go with it, right? Become a big activist, become a protester, become completely embroiled in what you believe in and your passion until you get burned out on it. Go to its nth degree of rajas and see what happens, right? In almost every case, and I've experienced this too, where you, you get burned out and the thing that you were so passionate about just burns up. That's so much fire, so much pitta energy. The, the rajas is like a, a form of vata, right? Uh, but it, it's like this activity, this movement, there's the air element too, but there's also this heat and this fire to it. It's a more purified form of vata as we talk about the doshas in future episodes and a bit in the past. Uh, but notice those activities that you're just like, you're going faster and faster. You have to get more and more things to do, more things to check off your list and just see what happens when you go in that direction and maybe replace some of those activities with more sattvic activities. You can still have a to-do list. You can still have desires. You can still get things done, but it comes from this more pure place of like having moments, more yin, like I mentioned, or just lay down and, and cuddle with my kitty for a while. And then times where you're more active and you get up and you get your work done, you check things off the list and you're more, you take care of your responsibilities. And then you go maybe do that for an hour, maybe 90 minutes. I like 60 to 90 minute cycles of on and then five to 90 minute cycles of off, right? So sometimes really short, sometimes up to 90 minutes, but that's general. Right, and I also look at the Hora in astrology, and I use this app called Align 27, which I talk about in the Vedic Astrology Podcast, the Quiet Mind Astrology Podcast. Uh, so that's another way you can look at it through the astrological cycles. But in general, if you're not going to look at that, those 60 to 90 minute rhythms of on and off, and sometimes the off cycles are shorter if you've got a lot to do that day. But you know, I think around four to six hours of really, really solid, focused intentional work a day is pretty realistic to aim for it when you're doing stuff that you really want to be doing, right? Not just checking in at an office to get a paycheck, but when you're really doing deep invested work, like four to six hours is a pretty attainable, realistic expectation of really deep, meaningful work. And then you've got to rest and recharge. But within that four to six hours, having those five to 90 minute cycles of off and resting and recharging. This is very sattvic, right? It's not too much rajas, not too much tamas, more balanced, more harmonious. So as I'm teaching classes, I'm watching the students. Do they feel like they're kind of uh, burned out, going too much, too slow? Are they more slow that day? We can kind of meet them where they're at with the sequencing and adapt to eventually get more to this sattvic place. So I hope that gives you some perspective on how to work with the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. They show up in everything we do. And it's just another perspective, a really powerful perspective that I love to explore. And again, I, I'm looking at it and thinking about it pretty much every day. And when I'm teaching, it's kind of built into how I teach because I know the body tends towards tamas, the mind tends towards rajas, but we want to aim towards 
the spirit, the true self, is sattvic. And sattva is the sort of purified distillation of pitta, the fire energy. It's like that uh, fire that's like the bright yellow light that's really clear and that lights up a room, right? And of course, the tamas is like a distillation of kapha dosha, of earth energy, where it gets more and more earthy and heavy and to the point of being inert and slow and dull. So we want to aim towards more sattva. And I hope this helps you give a perspective on uh, the gunas. And even uh, if you listen to uh, Krishna Das has a great little snippet interview. He's done like some interview recordings where he's talking about talking to his teacher about the gunas uh, and arguing about, you know, do we really want to aim towards sattva all the time? Is that realistic? All right, so there's some debate about this. Maybe you have a different perspective and opinion, but I encourage you to just go through your week and notice which activities are which guna and which activities you want to emphasize more of in your life. And for me, I find aiming towards more sattvic activities, clear water, good sleep, good exercise, everything in balance works really well for me. So hope you enjoy this podcast. Please leave a review and let me know what you'd like to learn more about. Uh, send me a message at jeremy.quietmind on Instagram or email jeremy at quietmind.yoga. If you want to do yoga practices with me, my Quiet Mind membership is opening next week on September 22nd, 2020, just for a week. So we open only once a quarter to let in new students. And each month we have a focus on one of the 10 core competencies of yoga this month, right now, we're talking about yoga philosophy and reading from the Upanishads in each class. There's three classes a week, and I'm actually going to be adding some for the fall season starting next month. So quietmind.yoga/membership if you want to check that out, and you can just be notified when it opens and see if it's something you're interested in. Uh, but it'll only be open for a week and only once a quarter. So this is your chance to join us right now, quietmind.yoga/membership. Thank you for listening and hope you have a great rest of your week. Look forward to sharing more about the Quiet Mind Yoga teacher training and some more behind the scenes stuff and what we're focusing on and learning about next week.